1: Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Scott Wurzbacher, and today we are going to talk about a family legacy and three sons who committed to adventure in hopes of lifting their father's spirits by following in his footsteps. And they did it in one of the most dangerous but coolest sports I can think of. The adventure? The Baja 1000 off-road race in Baja, Mexico. This is probably the most famous off-road race in the world, and it attracts both professional race car drivers and amateurs alike, and it is an adventure like no other. Our guest today is Colt Bell, and I am so excited to share his story that I've been hearing bits and pieces of for years. He has raced in the Baja 1000 six times, and he's been back several other times to chase. We're going to find out more about what that means. Colt grew up in Alaska, and he now resides in Atlanta, Georgia with his beautiful wife and three boys under the age of three. He is an anti-fraud professional in the banking industry by day, but when time permits and adventure calls, he is my hero as an off-road Baja race car driver. Colt, my friend, welcome to the campfire.
0: Yeah, thanks, Scott. Thanks for inviting me.
1: Oh, I'm so excited, man. I'm giddy. Um, you had me watch a movie before this call called Dust to Glory, and it's all about the Baja 1000, and I watched it yesterday, and I'm just so fired up um, to, to talk with you about this because it's so much bigger than I ever anticipated. Um, if we can, let's just start with a basic overview of, of who you are, where you live. Tell us a little bit about you, and and when did you get into this sport?
0: Yeah, I think you uh, you covered it. So, I grew up in Alaska, which is about as far away as you can get from Baja, uh, <laughs> yeah. and then within Atlanta, Georgia, which is about as far as away you can get from Baja, and uh, yeah. still make a, our way over there. So uh got into it i mean baja my dad actually did this back in the 70s and he raced a, a class 11 stock volkswagen and finished the baja 1000 and, and then we moved to alaska and my brother and i we used to watch uh, you know off-road on tv or saw this picture of my dad and we're like someday we should do that and we mm. actually finally the, the day came we're like let's go do it and got got to go do baja um we did a stateside race before before we went to baja and then we went and took on the biggest uh, non-stop point-to-point Race in the world, uh, and like I said, it's it's pretty dangerous. But uh, we had a, a lot of fun, and here we are—you know, 15 years later, uh, still heading down to Mexico every once in a while. 15 years, you've been at this, so.
1: I, I want to go just kind of backwards a little bit for people that aren't familiar, maybe they haven't seen Dust to Glory. If you're listening to this and you're interested, you gotta watch Dust to Glory. But uh can we just do a quick overview of of the race? What is what is this race? What kind of cars compete in this race? Like give us the overview.
0: So the Baja 1000, it, it starts out of Ensenada and uh, every year it rotates. It's either a race back to Ensenada, about a thousand miles, or it'll run all the way down the peninsula to La Paz, uh, again, about a thousand miles. And a lot of times whenever I talk to people, they're like, oh, doom buggies. I'm like, think of doom buggies on steroids, right? <laughs> uh, they've got they've got trophy trucks that are, you know, three hundred and uh, three quarters of a million dollars. A million-dollar vehicle uh, that they've got, forty inches of suspension, forty-two-inch tires that can just fly across the desert. And then you got different classes um, from unlimited buggies, which we've ran all the way down to stock Volkswagens that are, you know, probably fifteen, twenty thousand um, dollars that are stock Volkswagen bugs. So think of like nineteen seventies uh, stock Volkswagens that put roll cages in them, um, the safety equipment, and off we go. And we've we've raced those as well. Wow, it's crazy, and motorcycles too yeah those guys are crazy uh let's start (laughs) with that like there is no way i'm ever going to do this on a bike uh but they actually they'll they'll give those guys a head start and um the the pros they'll finish pretty quick uh the amateurs they're they're out in front of the trophy trucks and those trophy trucks start catching them uh about nightfall and then it gets really dangerous for those guys so a lot of times those motorcycle guys will just pull off to the side let the uh, leaders go by and just kind of hang out for a little bit and then jump back on the course but Everybody's very conscious of the motorcycles and give them plenty of room. So try to be as safe as we possibly can. Yeah. So,
1: so it's, it's roughly a thousand miles. Mm -hmm. Um, what is
0: the, what is the track like? How long does this race take? so the, the 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 course um it's it's a combination of open desert uh some of the the, the segments are on highway we have to obey uh, speed limits off that and then a lot of it's uh ranchers down there in mexico that open up their properties and we run on old ranch roads and we we tear them up i mean that, there's no two ways about it um but it's uh it, it's a lot of everything i mean you're out in the desert there's a, a saying. So sometimes fourth gear is not fast enough and first gear is not slow enough uh so okay. the terrain is is everything uh down there so we go through uh wide open deserts we go through the mountains we go through uh, rivers we go through dry lake beds um, it's just about everything that you can do down there and
1: like this isn't this. So it's point to point like it's basically you just have to get to the finish. It doesn't really matter how you get there. Is that right? Because in the movie, I saw like one one dude cut over and rode on the beach for a little while.
0: So they, they've changed the rules uh, quite a bit with technology. So now they've got virtual checkpoints uh, okay. that they'll put up throughout the, the course. Uh, it used to be back in the day, uh, back in the 60s and 70s, they gave you a, a kind of a map and said, here's the start. Here's the finish and go uh, for us. We, we stay on the course. Uh, it keeps it a lot safer. You know where everybody's at. We can track them. Uh so my job whenever we go typically is to navigate. So I try to keep us on course and make sure we hit all the virtual checkpoints. If you miss those, you get penalties off of it. One of your questions was like, How long's that race? The the fast guys, they'll finish a thousand miles in 20, 24 hours, and you've got 40 hours to to finish before you time out. So there's a it, it can take a while and we've we've timed out before.
1: Yeah. So you mentioned your role as a navigator. What are what are the different roles that people play when you're racing in a Baja?
0: So this is really a, a team sport. It's not like the typical NASCAR. They've got teams too, right? But three hours and you're racing around, and you're done. This this is, it's an adventure. And it takes us, like you say, from Ensenade all the way down to La Paz. And you'll have your drivers and your navigators. And typically there's uh, sets of drivers and navigators anywhere from two to three. Uh, some people do it Ironman and they do the entire thing themselves. I don't know how they do that, but they do. And then you've got your support crew and we call them uh, chase, uh, chase trucks. So you'll have multiple uh, chase trucks that will head down the peninsula uh, depending on the race in pre-stage so whenever the car gets there uh we can feel them we can change tires and then if there's a problem with the car we actually use those chase trucks to go back into the desert on the race course to go get the car mm. uh, see if we can fix it and we've we've had to do that a number of times i my brother and i we broke down and the chase truck they show up out of nowhere and it's like angel right it's like where do you guys come from and it's like oh, are <laughs> you? We saw you guys were stopped and, you know, we're out there trying to fix something. So uh, the the chase trucks, even if you can't get in the car, uh, that is really you can you can experience the adventure. And I just tell anybody, if you're interested in it, doing Baja, everybody needs help. So if you get on one of the forums and you you say, hey, is anybody looking for extra help? Uh, They will invite you. It's a very inclusive
1: fraternity. That is super cool so you you know you say the word chase i mean i'm imagining like chasing these cars are you trying like as when you're chasing are you like staying ahead of them or are you literally like somehow getting on an open road and beating them how does that
0: work so the chase trucks stay on the highways uh Mm -hmm. so the baja peninsula there's a couple different routes that we'll take and sometimes it goes through san felipe and you'll lose your chase truck on that side because it's, it's very difficult to get back on the course Uh, and then depending on the speed of the vehicles, if you're in a slower class, a couple chase trucks can just basically follow you all the way down maybe leapfrog on the faster vehicles. You go ahead and you pre-stage them down the peninsula. So they're, they're running into you and then you'll come back up the peninsula if they have problems to, to find them or, or fix the vehicles.
1: Yeah. And so you've played all of these roles. You've been a driver, you've been a navigator and you've been a, you've been a chaser.
0: I have. And I will tell you, whenever we got to the class one unlimited buggies, I realized pretty quickly I have no business being behind the wheel. So (laughs) I let let other people um, do that. My my job is a navigator, and that's what I really like to do. Whenever we first started doing it, um, you know, it's basically my job is to to watch a GPS, keep us on track and then encourage the driver. Right. Either slow them down uh, if if we feel like we're going a little too fast. Right. They're getting kind of amped up or to encourage them to go a little bit faster. Um, if, if I can see that the road's wide open in front of us, right? So there, are a lot of times I'll be sitting there going, go, go, go. Uh, you know, it's wide open and I'm watching for dangers, uh, to be able to tell them to slow down. And then we, we go through those. Uh, and then the chase crews, I mean that even if you're, you're driving or navigating, you're going to be chasing because you got to be on one of those trucks to get down to where you're going to be at. And that's a lot of fun. It's just, you know, a lot of time spent with other people, um, uh, like, like interest in, you can spend forty hours in the trucks, get going all the way down to La Paz, and then turn it back around and drive in twenty-four hours to get back to the border. So mm-hmm. it's uh, the, the chase part. It's 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 part of the experience. Yeah, that's
1: wild. So, like for the drivers and the navigators, and like for you and your crew in particular,
0: are you in? Are you in the car the whole time? Or are you taking turns? So we take turns, uh, especially on the thousand. So the shorter races, we might just have one set, a a driver navigator, but it it really is almost impossible to do it by yourself. Um, the sections that I've done in 2013 and then again, in 2017, uh, came into kind of like the night section and then into the next morning. So I was in the car for about 10 hours. Uh, and we covered about 400 miles and you're, you're beat up by the time you're done. Uh, and you you want to get out, <laughs> you want to get a taco, you want to get a beer, uh, you know, walk, put somebody else in the car and let them experience the the race. Yeah.
1: So, you know, I think for me, thinking about this Baja 1000, like having watched that movie that you had me watch, Dust to Glory, mm-hmm. like there's a visual. And I just, you know, most people are probably listening to this podcast and even if they're watching, they just see you and I, but um, we'll have pictures of your car and some of your your experiences in the show notes, but like, there's just this visual of these cars. I mean, you're not on a, on a track you're on like just completely rough terrain. I mean, a good portion
0: of this race, like your car is in the air. (laughs) Is that right? (laughs) Uh, The the faster guys. Yeah. You're, you're spending a lot of time bouncing around. Um, You can YouTube the videos. And one of the, the things that I like to do is, is Google like Baja 1000 in car and a lot of people have in car cameras um, it I, I will tell you the technology makes it look really smooth or if you're watching this but it, it's pretty violent um, you know there was a, a saying it's like being in a 24-hour plane crash right it's just over and over and over again you're you're hitting whoops you're hitting bumps you're you're bottom out you're you're in the air um, it's it's rough it can be really rough at speed and
1: what is that like for as an? I think you made a mention, like as a navigator. I mean, when you're the driver, like you have some feeling of control, right? As the navigator, you have basically have no control.
0: You have no control. And, and having driven, um, I realized that the drivers aren't really in control either. Um, <laughs> the car, you're just kind of, it's like being on marbles, the, the cars all, all around you. And, you know, it's funny, you should talk about that. Uh, the first race we did was, was stateside in Nevada and I was navigating for my brother and I thought for sure we were going way too fast. And I'm thinking to myself, man, we're going too fast. We're going way too fast. And then we got nerfed where somebody comes up behind you and they'll they'll basically run into you to let you know that they're back there and get out of the way. And we got hit. And I thought to myself, man, we're going way too slow. We're going way too slow. <laughs> so, again, it, it it's tough to to gauge it, but in the navigator seat, there's not a lot of, there's there's not a lot of people that can do it because it, you you don't have control. You're you're trying to help as much as you possibly can, but at the end of the day, you don't have the the brake, you don't have the gas, you don't have the steering wheel. Uh, you're you're going along for a ride, um, and and trying to help out as much as you can. Hey
1: everyone, it's Scott here. This podcast is a passion project for me because I absolutely love adventure, and it's thanks to the effort of my residential real estate team here in Charlotte, North Carolina that many of you know as the W Realty Group, that this podcast gets funded. This awesome group of people have unmatched levels of competence and caring for our clients. If you know of anyone looking to buy or sell a home, our team serves the Charlotte, North Carolina market, but we can also help you find an agent anywhere throughout the US or Canada through our highly connected network. When you support our real estate business, you are also supporting this podcast. Thanks for listening and thanks for your referrals. Yeah, and and the spectators th- it, that's a big part of this event from what I gathered from this movie, right? I mean, locals but also people that travel in just to just to
0: watch. Yeah, and I'll just kind of like put props out there. The locals down the Baja Peninsula, they are they are absolutely fabulous. And they show up before the race starts, uh, whenever we're doing tech and contingency, where all the cars are kind of on display. And uh, the kids, they want your autograph. They, it's like you're a rock star whenever you go down there uh, racing and they will line up the course and you'll be out in the middle of nowhere. And it's like, man, we haven't seen anything forever. And then middle of the night, you'll start seeing these little fires pop up. And then next thing you know, there's people standing on the side of the, the course as you're going by, cheering you on. Uh, man, they show up big time down there in Baja to, to support the races. Yeah, and one of the things that I noticed, I mean, like what, what's, the, what's the average speed these vehicles are going? So whenever we're, whenever we're racing the class 11, we're trying to average 25 miles an hour. So we, we don't time out. Uh, the trophy trucks, the class one unlimited buggies, those guys will average 50 miles an hour. And if you, you think about driving a thousand miles on the interstate, trying to average 50 is tough whenever you stop and you take a break and you got to get gas and whatnot. Uh, and these guys are flying. I mean, they're, they're hitting the pits, they're getting tires, just like NASCAR and they're gone. And they, yeah. they're, you know, I've been in the car up to 128 miles an hour, uh, flying across the desert and started thinking to myself, like, if we wipe out right now, we're going to be tumbling for a while. Um, yeah.
1: Man, I want to I, we're definitely going to get into that. Some of the fear, some of the decision making like cuz that that's just crazy to me. Like just to bring it back to the spectators, I mean, you know, 50 miles an hour on dirt bumpy roads. It's really fast and you even said yourself like even as a navigator like the drivers aren't really not <laughs> that much in control either. But like I'm watching this movie and and the, the the path or the track, whatever you want to call it, I mean, it's lined with spectators and these cars come ripping through and they're, spe- I mean, I'm just thinking like, my gosh, like these spectators are just lining this path and these cars are coming ripping through, like it just seems so dangerous
0: just for the spectators. It, it can be. And unfortunately, whenever there's injuries or fatalities, it's usually somebody um, in a bad spot and, mm. you know, one of the vehicles will, will hit them. Uh, But yeah, those are, and the thing to to note is like, this is not a closed course. This is not a a race course. It's an open course. We're going on ranch roads that are sometimes traffic's coming at you the other way. Um, So you really got to really got to pay attention. And whenever we see spectators, we, we just slow down. We're not in it to win it. We're just trying to finish the race. We don't want to have any of those incidents, but yeah, unfortunately it, it does happen. And it's crazy because what they're trying to do whenever you see those videos is they're actually trying to touch the vehicles as they come by, mm. which is in itself is absolutely crazy, right? Um, that's how, how into the sport they
1: are. Wow. All right. So I read something on Wikipedia about the Baja 1000 spectators that I thought was pretty interesting. And I think I mentioned it to you, but like it's it said something like you have to be careful because spectators in order to make their experience as spectators more exciting, they actually build booby traps and different things on the course along the way to not necessarily not to cause injury, but just to make it more exciting to create like these unexpected jumps and things. Is that, is that something that actually happens?
0: It does. Uh, So to your point, they're not trying to hurt anybody, but uh, it's pretty cool to watch the vehicles go in the air, right? So I I will tell you a pro tip for anybody who does Baja. If you're out in the middle of nowhere and you see a bunch of people gathered, they're there because there's something that's going to put you in the air. Uh, (laughs) Slow down, right? Or be on your P's and Q's watch out for. But that's kind of the pro tip is you you've done this for a couple of years is why is everybody out here in the middle of nowhere? And it's usually either a terrain issue um, that's going to get you airborne or they've done something to try to to create a jump.
1: So what like what is that experience like? Are these things like are these booby traps unexpected? Do you
0: or like do you see them at the last minute or do you like do you not know until after you've hit it? It depends. Um, I I will say in the slower moving vehicles, you're you're, going to pick them up. Um, in the, in the faster moving vehicles, you're probably not going to see them, but the suspension that you have is probably going to be able to absorb just about anything that you see, um, that you get in the air, but yeah, they're, they're not marked. I mean, we try to pre-run the course as much as we can, and it's difficult for us since we come so far away, but we'll actually, uh, try to mark dangers so that we know what's going on, at least the first sections of the race, but past that, um, you're, you're kind of on your own and at night it becomes very difficult to start spotting those booby traps. Yeah all
1: right so another thing that i saw in the movie that was really interesting that that they mentioned was these silt fields and i I guess if you can tell like the listeners what what are these silt fields and 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 have you did you experience anything going through those silt fields
0: yeah so the the phrase is silt sucks um (laughs) it's the best way to describe silt is if you think of like sand that you can run through your hands that's that's fine think of um Baby powder, the the consistency of baby powder, and it is just whenever it hits, uh, whenever the car gets in it, like it's just everywhere. um And to answer your question, like yeah, in 2017, whenever we finished the the thousand, I was running and navigating for a, a friend of ours, Ben, who was driving, and we had the silt bed section, and it was it was brutal. Uh, it was a brutal section, and we had started picking up condensation off of the coast and we were just a little bit of moisture. And then whenever we hit the silt, it stuck to everything. And we were wiping our visors off. Uh, The lights got clogged up and Ben ended up getting stuck in the silt and got out probably took us about an hour to dig the car out. And as we get back in get it all buttoned up, get back in the, in the belts, we take off and we make it maybe a hundred, 200 feet and he buries the car again. um, How deep is this silt? Yeah. Well, so you got to imagine like we've got probably, I don't know, Thirty inches of clearance or so, um, and we're to the pan of the car, so okay. it's it's all the way down. Um, and that's usually whenever you get in the silt, you're gonna put it on the on the pan, and you just gotta start digging it out. If we're sitting there uh, digging it out, and Ben, he is so apologetic. He's like, "Oh man, I'm so sorry. I was trying to get on the other side. I thought it'd be better." And I looked at him. It's middle of the night, and I'm like, "Ben, we're racing the Baja 1000 and class one unlimited buggy. Like, can you think of anything better to be doing right now?" And he's like. that's <laughs> It's a good way to look at it. And so we we sat there for probably another hour or two yeah. uh, digging it out, and um, you know, that was the last time we got stuck. But it's it's silt. It's man. It is it, it is not the section you want to be, as a driver or navigator, uh, because you're probably gonna get stuck at some point.
1: Yeah, man. It's just crazy. And I'm, I'm like watching the, again, the dust to glory, good, good title, by the way, dust to glory. Like what, like when they were showing the cars and the vehicles going through, I mean, it's like, you can't even see the car. It's just like this cloud of smoke. And so like, was that what the experience was like for you? And I imagine like
0: being inside, you can't, can you even see out? So uh, the problem we were having is uh, it kept caking up on our on our shields. So at that point we started opening the visors. Then we got the silt in our eyes, which mm. like bad move, right? Uh, but it, whenever whenever it hits and it goes airborne, you can't see anything. Uh, for the most part, you're, as long as somebody's not in front of you, uh, it's not like constant nonstop on the longer beds but whenever you first get in them you hit and it's like okay we're in the silt beds and it's just like baby powder just exploding
1: yeah and how long are you in these things is it minutes is it like
0: i mean is it seconds is it so sometimes depending on what it is and it's just it's a natural phenomenon that creates silt um and sometimes you'll hit it and it's a small little silt bed maybe 100 yards um other times you'll be in it like the ones we were in it was a couple miles that we, we had to navigate through um through the silt
1: yeah. And it's so wild, just the visual of this. Um, all right. So, um, let's talk about the races that you've run. Cause you've, you've done Baja 1,006 times, you've done a number of other races. And for you, like I've known you, it's kind of fun at the beginning of this call. Like we were kind of talking back and I remember like the, you and I've known each other for close to 20 years. And, you know, for the first several races that you guys did, it was really just about finishing. Yep. Um, So I'd love to just kind of talk about that history.
0: Yeah, and um, I mean, whenever we started this, the idea was we were going to just run the Baja 1000, we were going to be done. uh, And we thought maybe we should run a race before that. We ran a stateside race, the terrible town 250 out of Pahrump. Um, We didn't finish that race. We only made it like 21 miles. And then we did the Baja 1000 thinking, hey, we're definitely going to finish this one. And we made it 147 miles and we broke. (laughs) And then we we're like, OK, well, we can't stop until we finish a race. So we came back stateside in 2008 and we we broke at probably another six races. And at that point, it was getting very frustrating. I got to give my older brother, Patrick, a lot of credit like he just kept going. Right. It was like, are we ever going to finish a race? I don't know. Uh, it's a long ways to come. There's a lot of people that are trying to support you. And then we finally finished a race uh, in 2008, the, uh, another 250 mile race. Um, toys for tots 250 we finished two cars we finished our class 10 car and then we also finished a, a class 11 volkswagen that we were running simultaneously so we've we finally finished two races uh and then past that whenever we go down to baja it's probably a, a, you know 50 50 shot for most of the, the teams um to, to be able to finish the pro teams they'll they'll probably finish uh the amateurs that are showing up for the first time you don't know what you're getting into and just things will bite you um either the course of your car or something to that effect yeah but yeah, it, it took us a while, and that was um, – we caught a lot of grief from a lot of people. They were, they were <laughs> the, how long are you guys going to do this before you finish a race? And we're like, it's not like the easiest thing to do. Yeah. Uh, whenever we finish one, that's that's our goal. Whenever we go down to Baja, it's really us versus Baja whenever we, whenever we do this. Yeah. And we're just trying to, to finish. And 2017, we finished seventh, which was good uh, for Class 1, but that wasn't our goal. Our goal is always just to try to get the car home just to finish
1: seventh is that's a great bonus. So I'm curious, like what happens? Like, why don't you finish? I know that sounds like an obvious question, but like what happens that causes you to not finish?
0: Uh, let's see. In uh, the first race, we we blew the motor. Um, so that was the second race in the Baja. We ripped the front end off the car, uh, hit a boulder. Um, so we've lost uh, belts. We've lost wheels. We've lost um, you know usually it's engine mechanics or transmissions uh, that that'll get you Uh, and if you think about like that silt stuff like that's really hard on transmissions so um a lot of times we'll we'll lose a transmission or an engine Mm.
1: so and then like so the 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 couple times i think you said you finished baja 1000 twice Mm -hmm. um so what
0: had to happen for that to become a reality so the first time we, we, we raced it and we finished, we were actually racing with another team, um, which was great. They did all the planning and we, we got to, to help out. And then in 2017, they weren't going to run. It was the 50th anniversary. And my brother was like, we've got to run, we've got to run the 50th. So we borrowed the car and we had to do all the planning. So whenever you start going through the logistics of running a thousand miles through, through Mexico, we start basically planning for contingency, right? Like. Where, do the, where does the fuel need to be? Where's the tires need to be? So BFG uh, tires, they have pit support. We we use those guys a lot to be able to help us get down the road. And then we start just planning logistics with the chase trucks. Where do we want them? Who do we want in them? Uh, what, what tools might we need? Uh, how many tires do we need to send down there? And then you strap in and, and you go. Uh, and it's a lot of determination, right? So there's a lot of teams that won't finish just because it gets difficult. Um, you know, we've been out there in the middle of the night, it's cold and we're trying to work on a car, uh, with very limited, you know, tool set here. And it's really easy to say, you know what, forget it. This isn't worth it. I quit. Um, and that's, really the biggest thing is you know the guys that we go with it's you don't quit you just keep going and Mm -hmm. i think like baja is kind of like life in a thousand miles and it's going to get hard it's not always fun you're going to second guess yourself and be like why are we doing this this (laughs) is the the stupidest idea ever yeah Um, you'll have that self-doubt and you'll see it you know maybe with your driver and just kind of look at each other and my brother and i've done this a number of times like all right, we got nothing else to do right now besides dig this car out or try to fix it and just keep you know going down the course. Uh, and sometimes it's you know 10 miles and you break it again and you fix it and you break it again and you just limp it home uh, until you can get some help. But it's determination is a big, big factor whenever you're you're doing something like this. So there's
1: determination, there's probably some luck involved, right, to getting it all the way home. Like the times when you don't finish and you know a car breaks down. How do you get
0: out of there? Like, are you in the middle of nowhere? What happens? So if you get lucky, um, once when we were driving the Volkswagen, we we broke it. And we broke the transmission and just kind of limped it down to the highway and then ended up at a taco stand for some tacos and beer. So if you can get lucky and break next to the road, perfect. Um, the other times that you'll, you'll break it, you're out in the middle of nowhere. And it's an extraction event for the chase team. So they'll you know, come out there. It'll take them hours to get to you put a toe strap on it and we're trying to find the nearest road that we can get it to and then put it up on the trail and bring it home. So when you
1: talk about the chase team, like, do you have your own crew or are there like people down there that like are dedicated to helping multiple people? How, like, how does that work?
0: So typically because of the logistics, you, you have your own guys. Um, so typically whenever we do the thousand, we try to have two, three. Um, if we get more people that want to come down and help, we'll have four chase trucks uh so that's that's a a big deal and one of the things about it though is anybody down there will help you like if you ask for help you will get help and i remember the the last race we did in 2019 we were chasing and there was a a team from texas and a guy was doing it on a bike and he was all by himself him and his brother his brother was chasing him and i was like if you guys need anything just make sure you ask people Uh, they'll, they'll give you anything you possibly need And they actually needed a tool uh, to fix the bike that they didn't have and they're like man we're mm-hmm. going to be out and i'm like don't do that don't quit and so we we hand them a tool and they're like we'll send it back to you and i was like just keep it right yeah
1: so, i gotta imagine that it's a really supportive environment down there big time um yeah when you go on something like that so your so your whole team for your one car how many people are involved in
0: this so i'm just trying to think back to like 2017 we probably had 10 12 people yeah um that were down there in three trucks that's awesome and so
1: like logistically planning that is this like a group of guys that you've like worked with in the past and you just sort of rally everybody in advance how how does that how's the planning going
0: into this thing so pretty much you got your standard crew that goes all the time and then you get um people that they, they answer the call for adventure right we we talk to people and they're like man that sounds really cool i'd like to do that someday and it's like well the race is coming up here in november do you want to go? And that's how we actually picked up one of the, our you know, main guys that comes every year was my brother just talking about Baja up in Alaska. And he's like, can I do it? Um, and so that's kind of how you assemble kind of your core crew. And then you get volunteers that are like, sounds like an adventure. Let's do it. Um, yeah. depending on how many people want to come, uh, we, we get enough chase trucks to be able to, to bring everybody down. Yeah. Colt. it sounds pretty cool. I'd like to do it sometime. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll, I'll let you know whenever we're, we're going and you can come down.
1: Man, it sounds wild. You know, I'm, I'm kind of giddy. I'm like a little kid here, but like, you know, the reality of this is is like a really dangerous sport. Like, can you talk about like the decision-making, like the fear involved? I mean, have you ever feared for your life when you were out there?
0: So to answer a couple of questions, it is inherently dangerous, right? So even whenever you see like off-road trucks or, you know, a Chevy commercial and they're bouncing across, it'll say off-road is inherently dangerous. So, by definition, it's it's dangerous. Uh, I, I'll be honest with you, there's there's times whenever I'm getting in the car that I'm I'm sitting there thinking to myself, like, do I really want to get in this? Um, it, you gotta you gotta get past that. And I'll, I'll I'll be honest with you. Whenever we did the first thousand after the the phrase that we broke, I told my little brother, I'm like, Hey, why don't you go? Um, uh, because quite frankly, I didn't want to get in the car. Um, because my my first experience was like that was the craziest thing ever. like you try. It. Uh, and then once you get down the course, kind of slows down a little bit. But there's there's butterflies um, you know, getting into the car getting strapped up, and it's it's the real deal. I mean, we have Hans devices. We've got five point racing harnesses. you've got you know fire extinguishers throughout the vehicle uh, in case something happens. So I mean we take safety very seriously. So the good news is you're you're buttoned up. Um, and we we have crashed, and we we walked away from that without a scratch. So once you start to understand it, um, that nervousness goes away a little bit. But it's it's kind of like sports, right? You usually get butterflies before you go do something.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think some of that is is healthy, right? Like if you didn't have any fear, like that could probably be like over the top dangerous, right?
0: Yeah, and as we're flying across the desert, sometimes you know I'll sit there and be like, man, we probably need to slow down a little bit. And I, I have been known to uh, see imaginary cows on the course. And tell my brother, hey, I think there's a cow up here. So yeah. <laughs> we, we slow it down, right? and it's like, oh, never mind. I, I was wrong. Uh, but anything you can do sometimes just to kind of slow down a little bit. Um, and then other times, again, we're, we're trying to get the drivers to go faster.
1: Yeah. So you sent me some pictures that we'll put in the show notes of one of your buggies that you were racing. And it's literally like flipping in the air. The pictures, are, there's like a sequence of pictures. In the, and the car is like flipping upside down in the air.
0: Like, talk to me yeah. about that so that's it's an interesting story my brother's driving i'm navigating in that one it's a san felipe 250 it's a it's a short race uh but it's fast it's really really fast and we had already pre-ran the course and had marked the dangers i literally had just gotten in the car about a mile before we we wiped out and anytime you see a car uh crashing like that it's always the navigator's fault so we just kind of have that by default so that one's my fault uh, and as I'm, I'm getting in there, just trying to get orientated, uh, the GPS was having some problems it was spinning around and I'm watching it and I, I didn't bother to tell my brother because he's got enough stuff going on in the driver's seat. And I'm sitting there trying to fix the, the GPS or figure out what's going on. And about the time I looked up, I, I saw what we call a G out and I was like, oh, danger, danger. And by then it was, it was all over. So we hit the, the back end of the car, came up over the front and, uh, we ended up flipping it, I think two or three times and landed on, on the top. And as we we get settled down there, to add injury to insult, we start hearing people running up saying "fire, fire!" and I'm like, "Oh, great, we're on fire! uh We got to get out of here!" And it, it was just a small little fire went out, but we ended up crawling out, and uh, two other cars ended up crashing in that exact same spot. So oh. uh, we weren't the only ones, but that was that was a ride. um That was that was a ride. We've we've put them on their side, and we've put it upside down once, and, so. and no injuries in that situation. No, nope, n- nothing. So we we crawled out and we uh, ended up flipping the car back over. And to be honest with you, we probably could have kept going. Uh, But at that point, the adrenaline was was really racing. And we're like, you know what, let's just take it easy here. Uh, Our goal was to do the Baja 1000 that year. So we kind of wrecked the car early in the season, put it all back together and then um, uh, did the 1000 and finished. Yeah, man, it's
1: crazy. So it begs the next question, like, why? (laughs) why why do this is it is it for the adrenaline or is there something else going on
0: well so i mean the first time that we did it it was really kind of inspired by my dad right so uh he had had lung cancer at the time and my brother had gone down to, to cabo and was like did this little off-road adventure and he, he calls me up and he goes hey um think about doing the thousand like would you be in? I'm like hell yeah. Like, tell me when and where. Like, I'll I'll be there, right? And that really gave my dad a lot of motivation. Um, that last year, to he had something to look forward to, right? So we did the thousand, the three of us, uh, the brothers, my dad. We obviously didn't finish,
1: and then it became
0: kind of a challenge, right? Like, we can't let this beat us. We've got to be able to finish, and then we we finished a race, and that was just. It's an adventure. Uh, and quite frankly, it's a, just time to be in Mexico. It's a magical place. We eat a ton of tacos. Um, and no one is making money off of this, right? It's just we're down there having fun and trying to support each other. And it's a, it's a, it's a challenge against nature. It's like, what's it going to throw at us this time? Are we going to be able to finish? And, you know, people all the time, like, Oh, how was vacation? It's Like, man, it wasn't a vacation, right? It, it's, it's a lot of work to go down there. And it's just, gratifying even if you don't finish it's like we're, we're doing something that people talk about like hey I should I might and we're actually down there doing it which is, yeah. which is pretty cool
1: but this does have a big meaning for you you sent me a picture of your dad when he did this race I, I don't remember how long ago but it seems like it was in the 70s
0: yeah, so he finished, he only finished one race, uh, which, by the way, he held over our heads the entire time. He's like, what's <laughs> going on with you guys? Like I finished the, the Baja 1000, a stock Volkswagen, and that was back in 75. Uh, so that's completely different, um, different era technology, the equipment uh, to, to be able to do it. No GPS, right? Well, I mean, we got GPS to help us out. I have no idea how they navigated that. But uh, yeah, he did it back in 75 and finished the, the Baja 1000, the one and only time he raced. thousand he finished it so that was one of our challenges and we actually took his finishers pen and stuck it to the dashboard um, whenever we raced the thousand so we actually had it in the car with us yeah
1: yeah and the picture of him like it it looks like you in 70s race attire (laughs) which is just so cool and so like what you were explaining to me was when your dad got sick the three of you guys said like hey this is something that we can do to help lift his spirits
0: yeah and like i said my my brother he was like you know we've talked about doing this we should we're gonna need to do it if we're gonna do it and dad's gonna be around so that that was the motivation to to go ahead and say hey keep talking about it we actually need to plan it and go do it um but yeah he was so excited for, i mean he couldn't have been more on cloud nine that his boys were gonna go race the baja 1000 he just thought that was the coolest thing so uh initially we were just gonna rent a car and, and try to do it like rent a race car and he's like why don't we buy one and he like cruised around Southern California and Arizona trying to find a race car. And he finally found one he was so excited. He's like, all right, you guys got to fly out here. Uh, so we, we flew out and, and took the car for a short little spin and put it back in the trailer. I was like, all right, let's go race. Yeah. But he was, he was the motivation to, to get it going. And it was, it was great. I'm, I'm glad we were able to do it. It's memories that we have.
1: So dad was really able to be involved in these first couple of races with you guys.
0: Yeah, he was still pretty sick. So he was more spectating than being active a participant. But he was uh he had his pickup down there. He was, you know, he was gonna chase us. Uh, and like I said, we didn't go very far. Um the, the first one, we only made about 140 miles before we we broke the car. But that whole it was like a year of planning, right? To to get up and get ready for this thing. And he was just so excited. He was disappointed, obviously, that we didn't finish, but he couldn't have been more proud of his boys uh, getting down there to go do Baja inexpensive. Yeah.
1: So I'm curious, like, what do you think it meant to him, and and what did it mean to you to be able to to do that um, for your dad?
0: Listen, for him, it, it, like I say, he couldn't have been more proud of his boys. Um, you know, to see us try to to accomplish something that he had done previously, and you know, I, I'm a dad now, and to to have my boys want to do something that I, that I like doing, that's that's just great, right? And then to be able to participate with him. So, it is a as a father they had to mean everything to him. Uh, like say, give him something to look forward to for us as boys. I don't know that we fully grasp what it was that we were doing for him. Uh, for us, it was like, Hey, we're going to go do this crazy adventure. You want to come along? Uh, and now in hindsight, it's like, it really meant a lot to the three of us to be able to do that uh, with our dad. And continues to be. Yeah. The movie you've referenced, right. It's a, it's a multi-generational thing. So we're, we're second generation Baja racers. Right. And I've got three boys and, maybe we'll be a, 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 you know, three generation Baja racers. So we'll, we'll see what they, they end up doing.
1: Yeah. I love that. And, and, um, so you were also explaining to me that, uh, you guys, um, didn't actually finish a race, um, before your dad passed. So what, what did that mean to you guys to actually finish that race, that first race that you finished as it relates to your dad?
0: So I, I gotta tell you, so it was a, it was a very emotional for me, um, in part with my dad, right? So finishing a race in, in the last race, we raced before he passed away. Uh, he was he got hospitalized the night before the race and we, we went and we raced. We, we didn't make it very far. I think we made it like 20 miles. and We mm-hmm. saw him in the hospital. He's like, did you guys finish? And it was like, no. And he just, you know, he kind of put his head back and he's like, he goes, you will. He goes, you'll you'll finish. So whenever we finally finished a race, again, it w- it wasn't a super long race. It was 250 miles, but... I, I navigated for my brother into the finish line. Right. And here's a guy that it keeps wanting to do this. So I keep supporting him, uh, trying to motivate him, but he just kept facing adversity. And whenever we got to the spot where I was like, we're actually going to finish this race. Like I started getting emotional in the car thinking to myself, like I, you know, couldn't, couldn't be more proud as a little brother of my big brother who, you know, <laughs> facing this and keeps doing it and to be able to support him. But it was really, for me, the first time that we finished, it was a lot of relief for him uh, wanting to do this and getting us down this path. And then for our dad, whenever we finished the the 2017,000, uh, that was the 50th anniversary. So it was 10 years after we had started. And we raced in my brother's name. So he was a, the driver of record. And we're sitting down there in La Paz. And I'm like, okay, dad's got to be like, Completely proud, right? His boys finished the Baja 1000 in a Class One Unlimited buggy, and for us, Class One was so unattainable. Whenever we started, it was like, can you believe those guys that run Class One? And here we are, you know, finishing the Baja um, 50th anniversary in just under 34 hours, and it was cool. And I, I know my dad was looking down on it. Yeah.
1: Did you feel him with you guys when you were when you were finishing that race? Yep. Yeah. It's pretty amazing so cole this is like a 15-year journey for you like what's the future of baja for you i think there's a race coming up next month
0: is there not so there was one that just happened the baja 400 uh in september then the thousand comes up that's usually the weekend before thanksgiving uh and right now not my plans uh, i did go <laughs> last year uh so i was able to go last year and help chase the uh, team that ended up finishing first in the, the class 11 or class one Buggies. So for me, my brother, he goes like every race he's down there. So it's pretty much me getting plugged in with my schedule um, and then family obligations to be able to go. But it's about time to go down and do do Baja again. I love not, it. I to chase and get some tacos.
1: How get some tacos, yeah. How has this 15-year experience like changed you? How are you different today than you were 15 years ago because of because of Baja?
0: Man, I, I tell you, I, I keep going back to Baja's challenging, right? Life's challenging, and you might not have, you know, the best circumstances in front of you, but you just got to keep going. Uh, stay positive, right? Whenever adversity hits you, uh, it's easy to throw your hands up and quit. And you know, Baja, the lesson from that is like, adversity is going to happen. What are you going to do, right? Are you going to give up? or Are you going to figure something out? Uh, and we've had the MacGyver things to be able to get the cars to finish so that that piece that's motivated me and is kind of like part of my core now. Um, yeah. Baja, the the peninsula, just the nature piece of it. that has really changed me in wanting to see and experience just nature and its natural beauty, right? And even though we're down there racing, I can't tell you how many times like I'm looking out the the window and we've got the Sea of Cortez or we're on top of a mountain that you've just got these huge you know, vistas that you can see for miles. And even though we're racing, you got to stop and take that stuff in. So I don't know, Baja, it's once it gets in you, it's hard to get it out. Well, it's interesting because
1: one of the, the things I like to talk about in this podcast is the word awe. And um, the definition that I've read from Google is that awe is a reverential respect mixed with fear or wonder. And I've got to believe that when you're riding in a Baja car at speed, you're feeling the fear. But it sounds like you also experience some moments of awe.
0: Yeah, I mean, it it is so beautiful down there. Uh, it is it is just nature, right? And if you think about that peninsula, a lot of that's untouched. Um, It's rural. It's desolate. It's it's unforgiving if you were to ask me like how would you describe baja in a word Uh, the race it is is unforgiving but it is just absolutely beautiful down there
1: unforgiving is a great word um because when you're talking about awe and nature it's like you know you just feel so small but i love that i love that word in that environment that you're in Um, so there's got to be this element i mean you're in this man-made car going at speed through this unforgiving nature? Like, is there some element of like
0: trying to beat nature? That's it. I mean, that's what we're trying to do. Whenever we go down there, we're just trying to finish that race and it's you versus Baja, right? And uh, most of the times for us anyways, it's Baja wins. Um, but it's <laughs> a lot of respect uh, for for the terrain. There's a lot of respect for the, the inherent danger of what we're doing. Uh, and again, it's just, it's magical whenever we go down there.
1: All right, Colt. So, for people that are listening to this, that are inspired by this story and this passion that you've taken up, um, what advice do you have for people? Because I'm curious, like you know, even going back to 15 years ago, like when this idea first came up, like how did you get over that hump to to start and embark on this journey? And what advice do you have for people that are kind of in that same place?
0: All right. So, my number one piece of advice, and this has been spattered in your your previous podcast, whenever Whenever the opportunity presents itself, take it, right? Don't don't push it down the road and say, well, maybe later. Um, Take the opportunity as it presents itself and and do it. And if you've had something in the back of your mind that you've thought to yourself, like someday I want to, plan it. Put it on paper and figure out how to do it, right? There's a ton of excuses that you can create. And then there's the reality of if you want it, go do it. And and that's really what we started doing, right? We we talked about this all, all the way through being kids and adults and finally it was like, all right, if we're gonna do it, let's let's go do it. Let's get serious about it. And that's my biggest piece of advice is take the opportunities that are in front of you. It don't wait. Look, maybe later it'll be a better time. Just go. Yeah.
1: And you guys had some motivation to, to get it going too. I mean, in your situation. So no, not everybody like has that time. Um, So yeah. I mean, I love the advice. Just get after it is what I'm hearing you say. That's it. Go. Yeah. So Cole, They already made a movie about Baja. It's called dust to glory, but like your story is just incredible and Hollywood's going to pick up on your story as well. And I want to know when they do, Who's going to be the Hollywood actor that's going to play you in this movie about your story at Baja?
0: Yeah, so I, I got some help from my wife on this one, but uh, there's an actor named Hunter Emery. Uh, and I think she she picked him because he looks like me. It, you may not know him, but he was on uh, Orange is the New Black. So that's where, where he's known from. But I think it'd be perfect, right? So I, I'm not looking for a, a high profile character. I'd rather have somebody that maybe you don't know so you can kind of fall into the story. Uh, so Hunter yeah. Emery would be the actor.
1: Hunter Emery, so he, so he can really dive in and play you. He does look like you. Yeah. It's a good pick. She knows she knows her stuff. So
0: I'm curious, um, Hunter Emery is going to star in this movie. What's it going to be called? All right, so we kind of talked about this uh, over and over, but the tacos down in Baja are absolutely amazing. Uh, my boys have this book that was I'm trying to think of a, a title called Dragons Love Tacos, and I was reading it to him the other night, and I was like, Racers love tacos, so the, the name of the movie is "Racers Love Tacos."
1: Racers love tacos. I mean, who doesn't love tacos? That's incredible. I love it, and uh, you know that was definitely a theme of the other movie, "Dust to the Glory." They talk about tacos through the whole thing, so it, clearly that's a thing there in Baja. They're they're
0: amazing. Yeah.
1: Man, this has been so much fun. I really appreciate you spending the time and sharing this story. And uh, for those listening, I hope you've been inspired today as much as I have. Hope that Colt's story has encouraged you to listen to the voice inside that calls you to adventure because we want to hear your story next. If you have a story to tell or you need a nudge to create one, please send me an email. We'd also appreciate it if you'd help us spread the word by leaving a review and sharing or tagging Inspire Campfire in your social media. And until next time, I want to encourage you to get outside. Thanks for listening. Colt, thank you so
0: much for spending the time with me today. Thanks for the invite.